Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is Aaron Healy. Aaron is a dedicated and passionate advocate for education. After teaching in the secondary classroom for five years, Aaron's constant determination to seek out best practices and lead with vision led her to a master's in educational psychology with a concentration in educational technology and a leadership role as an instructional systems coach at Portsmouth High School. Erin continues her work in a large-scale education innovations as a speaker's network manager for the Teach Better team, a national worker that strives to make the entire education system better today than it was yesterday and better tomorrow than it is today. In 2018, Erin founded the Young Educator Society of Rhode Island to advocate for early career educators. This community has impacted over 200 educators in its first few years and aims to decrease beginning teacher burnout while providing positive support and dynamic professional development to benefit the future of Rhode Island education. Welcome to the podcast, Erin. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to share some stories and just to learn more from the audience as well. Well, tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. For me, with my background in secondary English, something that I have always been interested in and just loved exploring in my time in the classroom and continue to explore as an instructional coach is the idea of interdisciplinary learning. So I know for a lot of English teachers out there, we are very used to the canonical standards and the texts like, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird, Catcher in the Mm -hmm. Rye, a lot of these texts that we all grew up with learning in our high school experiences and are still part of the curriculum, but how to make them, you know, more relevant to our students, how to really tie in those real world experiences and make them culturally responsive to the students that are in front of us as well. Uh, That's something that I always kind of struggled with. It's just not something that you get a lot of experience in when you are in your pre-service teaching education. And so honestly, how I have found some ways to not only grow my own personal education, but also expand opportunities with this is something that's really hard for a lot of new teachers. And that's kind of what we talk a little bit about with the Young Educator Society is asking around and building a community and then bringing some resources into the classroom that don't typically exist there. It's really hard for a secondary school teacher to find ways to bring in, for example, the health or PE teacher or the computer science teacher or the culinary teacher into your English classroom because everyone's Mm -hmm. scheduled for teaching blocks at the same time. But I found that not a lot of people also ask. And Mm -hmm. so if you're the first person to say, hey, can you come to my classroom and do a lesson on like a health lesson on dating violence when we're reading Romeo and Juliet, all of a sudden you're bringing in that relevance piece. You're making an opportunity to expand your content area into different places. And it's, it's a new way to give students the ability to kind of see what opportunities exist through these more thematic texts in places that they didn't typically expect. In my coaching role, I would love to see this as a full building initiative, interdisciplinary education. Uh, but it is difficult to, you know, work with scheduling and teaching different you know, standards and different grade levels in different years. 
but I'm really trying to bring my teachers together in spaces and places where different voices from different contexts are represented and have just create the ability to have those conversations. Uh, I found a lot of success in, again, just asking like, hey, what times do we have available that are within our contract that might typically be sequestered to department or to grade level planning times? Can we just bring people together to have a brainstorm session? And mm-hmm. I find just it's really hard for people to kind of ask these questions and just jump right into those deep discussions, but no one really asks. And so if you don't ask, you don't know. And by creating that space, it's been a really awesome opportunity for me, not only to continue my own personal learning interdisciplinary education, but create those moments of relevance for not only my colleagues and um, the staff that I work with and students in their classrooms. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. So talk to me a little bit about what this um, role instructional systems coach does. Is it district-wide? I listed you were at a high school, um, but it sounds like kind of a system. So is it different than a regular instructional coach? So it is a brand new role for our district. Uh, We have one instructional systems coach at each of the four schools, two elementary, one middle and high school. We're in Rhode Island, it's a very small state. So our districts are all very small. Mm -hmm. Um, So it gives us the ability to work as an instructional coach, but align our practices K-12 with experts in specific grade focuses. So I know a lot about high school education and teaching practices, and I know my colleagues really, really well. I get to know my student body really well. Um, And then the middle school instructional systems coach knows those practices, those systems really well. Together, we can come to align bigger picture initiatives like our MTSS, multi-tiered systems of student support practices mm-hmm. on a K-12 through level. When we do a curriculum initiative, like right now, our state is doing high-quality curriculum updates for both English and math, and we're able to align those implementations and those pilot practices at a K-12 level. It gives us a really in-depth focus at a micro level to then expand that macro level work as a district. Um, It does involve a lot of like it's less like one to one coaching and a lot more meetings, but Mm -hmm. it gives us the ability to then be more intentional with those one to one coaching cycles um, when we're working with teachers than I think if one person is in charge of the entire district. It also, Mm -hmm. again, brings many minds to the table. And if you don't create the space, you don't ask those questions, it's not going to happen in an effective way. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. the district does a really good job of this. And um, one of the only districts that I know that has an instructional coach per building in a systems mindset role to specifically focus on bigger initiatives. Um, MTSS is one third of my job, but I also do one third of it is technology support. So mm-hmm. when we're rolling out new devices or we're troubleshooting technology issues, we also, again, have that, that small team of four individuals to spread mm-hmm. across the district and really build capacity. Okay. Okay. So um, the MTSS, uh, would that be done mostly at the school? And then the tech support, you can rely on the colleagues if it's a district-wide need. Um, So, I mean, help me understand a little bit like how maybe your role also supports the district as opposed to just the high school. Absolutely. When, When I say we're a very small district, there's still a lot of work that can be done on alignment. Mm -hmm. We want our practices, our communications to be consistent across the schools. So while we know the different supports that are individual and unique to each building, 
it's really helpful to come to the table and have a conversation. Like one of the discussions that I was having today was with our elementary school coaches and we can work on things like supporting special education as a whole different co-teaching models across the district. We can work on the, the English curriculum is coming to mind first and foremost, because it's been one of our really big pushes this year, but how are we, how are we implementing that curriculum with fidelity? What does fidelity look like in grades four and grades 10? Uh, It gives us that kind of space to make sure that what we're saying is one united front as a school district. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And since it's a new position, then you all do have some time as those four um, instructional systems coaches to meet, collaborate as well. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcasts. Now let's get back to the episode. Um, so I mentioned in your bio that you are uh, the speakers network manager at Teach Better Team. And uh, just as a side note, so I'm on a board of directors for World Language Teachers in Colorado. And we're thinking of building a network of speakers because we got a request. And so at our last um, board meeting, you know, and I'm like, well, hey, Teach Better Team has a great um, system already there. So like, I think we would build a network for our state organization based on your speakers network because you've had that going for a while. So tell me a little bit about um, like how long you've been the speakers network manager, kind of what that role involves. Um, do you, are you kind of the, the, the go between person between the speakers and the schools, things like that? Absolutely. So my addition to the team is very exciting, but also pretty new. I came on Mm -hmm. board at the beginning of January 2022, and the Speakers Network had just started to have been formed. And my role was to really kind of reimagine the scope and sequence of what it was like to be a member of the Speakers Network and also what kind of opportunities you could provide, not only members of the Teach Better community, but schools, businesses, different leadership organizations across the country and really kind of expand the message of teach better. So it is a non, it's not an exclusive speaking organization for some of these rock star educators that I work Mm -hmm. with. Um, But it's also not necessarily limited to the people who are an official member of the teach better team. We have a lot of different experts who work full time for the teach better team and do a lot of trainings and stuff. But we also know that teaching better is a multifaceted Mm -hmm. approach to education. So we want to make sure that voices are highlighted and and emphasized through our platform that cover a range of different topics from school leadership to student leadership and how Mm -hmm. to work with students in your schools to make sure their voices are heard equitably. From covering topics like teacher burnout, which is not necessarily like a focus of our Teach Better trainings, but is a huge concern for a lot of members in the education community right now, um, to using technology. So we, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a wider range of, of subjects that we can really focus on by identifying experts in those fields, inviting them to be part of our network, and then amplifying their voices. It's phenomenal. We really kind of pushed the network or re- kind of relaunched the network in about March. And mm-hmm. it's just the the team of educators and experts that I get to work with and share their stories. It's incredibly just diverse and exciting. And everybody is really, really engaged in their own communities. And the fact that they want to even share that as part of the Teach Better team, share their message through us is really, really awesome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And so people can just go to teachbetterteam.com slash speakers. Speakers network. Speakers network to access that list of rockstar educators. Like you said, I saw um, sessions with a few of those people um, at the Teach Better conference in October. And, uh, you know, the um, great keynote we had remind me of his name, the saxophone player. Maggie Smith Jr. Yes. yes. Grammy winning music educator from Florida. So rockstar. Like I say, rockstar too much, but in that case, it's very genuine. He's releasing a Christmas album over the next few days. (laughs) Yeah. You know, yeah, he was very much um, uh, a hit at the uh, conference and people loved his playing and yeah. So great, great person to bring into your district. So uh, let's talk also a little bit about some of the advocacy work you do for early educators, because, you know, we, we, you talk about burnout. That's a topic, um, you know, that's been, um, pretty hot for the past couple of years. And I, I am seeing at least where I am, there's not quite as much turnover as last year. Um, let's cross our fingers as we enter into second semester, but, um, how are you working in that capacity to make sure that those new teachers are not left by the wayside? So I mentioned I'm in Rhode Island. We are a very small state. And for some reason in, you can drive across the state in 45 minutes, Mm -hmm but we have 32 different school districts. And that's not counting our private schools, our charter schools. And what I found was being a high school graduate in state, going to my state university's teaching program and then teaching at both charter and public schools in my state, I did not feel, I never felt as isolated as I did being a new teacher. And Mm -hmm. just the idea that I could be in my home state working, you know, 15, 20 minutes from where I grew up going through a teacher prep program in state that it would be such an isolating experience when I got out. And just thinking about all the opportunities that we have in such a small geographic location to look at this microcosm and figure out what's working and what doesn't, how can we leverage our size really to build Mm. a stronger in-person community of new teachers so that that feeling of isolation doesn't lead to burnout. Nationally, there's a over 50% of new teachers leave the profession before they're for they finished five years or they leave the classroom. And a lot of that is because they just feel really isolated, especially in the pandemic when we were asked to redefine what it meant to be a teacher in two weeks with no prep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it, we're going through this unprecedented time where burnout is real. And if you feel more alone in that, in that space, you're more likely to leave that space. So we, uh, we started the young educator society. I started the young educator society in 2018 to really bring people together in person, obviously in March of 2020, that did not go so well, but we have a, a really strong platform of about 200 new teachers across the state and Mm -hmm. growing that we support through different online networking activities, building community through social media. Uh, We have about one to two in-person events a year, typically revolving around the evaluation timeframes, which is something that 
a lot of teachers struggle with, but is mm-hmm. not necessarily prepared for in your pre-service education experience. Um, a lot of these things that impact education, you know, that don't necessarily involve your teaching. So we're mm-hmm. able to bring teachers of all different grade levels and contents and backgrounds of experience together. It's not necessarily like your age in young educator society. It's how mm-hmm. long you've been in the field. So we really try to support that transition from your junior, senior year of college all the way through your fifth year in the classroom, just to okay. make sure that we're supporting that transition period when teachers are being long-term subs, part-time work, navigating, finding their first full-time job, and and making sure that they understand how to read contracts, what an evaluation cycle looks like. Mm-hmm. Again, these even necessarily like moving out of your parents' house for the first time, mm-hmm. which not a lot of Rhode Island teachers do because you can't afford it, but also we live in a very small state. So mm-hmm. a lot of these very unique challenges that new teachers are facing that we try to support through, again, bringing communities of people together. And we are very fortunate that we can we can not only study teacher burnout, look at mm-hmm. the different root causes of what is impacting new teachers. Um, I teach at our state school, our state university's school of education now, and I'm part of our state's largest union's early career educator. Okay. I'm the co-chair of that group. So I get to kind of see it from a lot of different places and really study like what is impacting new mm-hmm. teachers and how can we use the kind of or leverage the capacity that we have in our very tiny microcosm to build mm-hmm. that kind of support around teachers in our state. I'm mm-hmm. so glad you don't have a lot of turnover where you are, but it has been very hard, uh, impossible really to fill mm-hmm. some empty positions that we still have in my own building right now this year, um, just because there is so much turnover and burnout that we're experiencing right now in Rhode Island. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of other states are having much worse situations, but um we are a very small space, so it gives us a lot of different angles to look at this from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think in general, the turnover that's taken place in the couple, last couple of years, it might not be just the um, new teachers. Um, it's teachers in all, um, you know, areas of, um, you know, veteran versus new and it's just kind of like, what, what is the school like where they're at, right? And the students that they have. So, uh, but hearing that there are support uh, networks for Rhode Island, um, do you know of any other states that might have something similar that maybe you've helped uh, base your teachers uh, and young educators network on? I know that the National Education Association, uh, NEA, has started a really big push to build up early career education supports. Okay. Um, I was very fortunate to go down to Florida and with the national convening, like one of the earlier times that they were starting to work on supporting mm-hmm. those chapters. But I don't necessarily know of any other non-union related yeah. beginning educator support groups. And the reason that I I do work with NEA in my state, but yes, RI is isolated from that is because we do have a huge number of charter and private schools in this state. Mm -hmm. And we also have members of the AFT in our state. And I don't want, I want to be able to bring that community together because everyone starts off their teaching career differently and changes locations and the support shouldn't look different. It should be just this equitable experience for all beginning teachers, no matter Mm -hmm. what school or environment or state you teach in, Mm -hmm. is my personal belief. And that way, everyone has the best possible chance to succeed long-term in the classroom. You would solve, I feel like you solve a lot of different transition and burnout and and transfer 
challenges that school districts are facing right now if all teachers were able to start from a really, really solid foundation. And you're not going to get that if it's coming from one union, but not the other, or it's impacting public school teachers, but not private or charter school teachers. Mm -hmm. So that space that's separate from some of these larger institutions, I feel like is really valuable because again, every teacher is starting their, their career somewhere different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's great to kind of hear that it is available for people um, no matter where they're teaching, but is that something that they usually would hear about from um, the union? If they're a member, do they need to be a member of the union? Should they be hearing about this from a, a like a grade level uh, chair or department chair? Who would they necessarily find this information out from? For union-based supports, probably from their union representative. Mm-hmm. For me, hopefully, when they're leaving their pre-service experiences, we do a lot of outreach to our five main teaching universities in the state and social media has been a really great tool and just kind of promoting through word of mouth. If we have um, a a member or someone who follows our network somewhere in the building, we ask Mm -hmm. them to like share the news with a friend, share the news with a new colleague, share the news with your student teacher and Mm -hmm. kind of grow that or more organically. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's uh, something that, you know, people can find out through multiple facets and, um, you know, especially if they're taking that pre-service in the state, but even if they're coming to the state uh, just to teach, then yeah, somebody in their building uh, should know about it. So uh, that's great to hear. Um, You know, you've been involved with that for several years now and the passion, I can, I can hear that in your voice, uh, you know, really advocating for those young educators to get the supports that they need. Well, we've had a great conversation today about your current role as a structural systems coach, your involvement with the Teach Better team and the support for early educators. Out of everything we talked about, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? I think that a a constant theme throughout my talk today was just about building up that community of people who are going to lift you up. Mm -hmm. And finding those people who are going to support your not only professional, but also your personal goals and building a a support network around you that's going to fill your cup. It's really easy to kind of just when you're in the trenches to just Mm -hmm. deal with everything kind of as it's getting thrown at you. And that's not going to add energy to your, to your cup. You need to find opportunities and you're going to find opportunities through just asking questions and building that network that are going to, to lift you up and hopefully sustain you not only like in your current position in the, in the classroom, but in any of these goals that you have in education. Uh, we need more people who are innovative and excited and optimistic in the field, especially right now. And I just hope that it feels less like you're in the trenches if you can find that support network. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great thought to end with. Where can people find you online and connect with you? Thanks. I am at Mrs. Erin Healy on all social media platforms. I am exploring options outside of Twitter currently, but I am very active right now on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can find the Teachers Network or Teach Better Team Speakers Network at teachbetter.com slash speakers network. And we have all the social links to those experts as well. And the Young Educators Society of Rhode Island is at yes, R-I-O-R-G, yes, R-I-Org on social media or yes, R-I.org on the internet. Great, great. Well, I'll make sure to list those in the show notes. 
Well, thank you so much for being on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. It was a pleasure learning about your work and your advocacy for those young educators. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I really love chatting. My book, Out of the Trenches, Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. You can access it through Amazon. You can buy it at the Road to Awesome website, or you can get it through my website at danagoodier.com. Please leave a review, and you can also access it on Kindle. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at Out of Trenches PC.